You're listening to City Beat, the weekly podcast from online daily urbanmilwaukee.com. I'm your host, Jeremy Janine. Today we will be joined by UIDA Executive Director Christy Luzar. She'll tell us what UIDA is, what the organization is working on, and what you should do Saturday night. Don't touch that dial, close that app, or hit the mute button. We'll be right back. Christy Luzar, welcome to City Beat. Hi, Jeremy. Well, before we go too far, I've said the acronym during the introduction, but what is UIDA? Well, UIDA stands for the Urban Economic Development Association of Wisconsin, which is a nonprofit membership association dedicated to um, mem- people and groups working in economic and community development. So we, our role is really to support the work of others, and we do that in sustainable home ownership, financial empowerment, small business growth, a local food economy, and other un- and com- community investment. Well, that sounds like a giant organization, about 50 employees. I wish. Um, We are actually growing. So we have two employees right now um, and a project intern, but we are actually going to be hiring um, a full-time staff person that's coming on in a couple weeks to manage our Take Root Milwaukee program. And then we also have a financial capability project manager who should be up to full-time too. So... And we met about 10 years ago. How long have you been with UIDA? Oh, my. (laughs) Just about 12 and a half years. So, yeah, I believe we met working on some of the transit issues. And how long has UIDA been around? Um, 21 years. Okay. And let's get to the important thing right away, get you a a plug-in. What should everyone be doing Saturday night? What does UIDA have going on? Well, they should join us at our annual fundraiser called Carnival Milwaukee because it is a great way to pretend that it's not snowing in winter anymore. (laughs) So, Tell us more about that. Where is it? Um, so it's Saturday, February 23rd um, from 6 to 10 p.m. It'll be at the Renaissance Place on Milwaukee's east side. And it's really themed around um, kind of sort of designed to showcase all of the culture and diversity that we have in our city through food, music, and art. And what is some of that food? I'm, I'm intrigued. Now. Yes. So it's all local um, restaurants and caterers. So there's 25 food vendors. And we've heard for years that our food tasting is like no other. So you will find food from Antigua Latin Restaurant, um, Baked Custom Desserts, Cafe El Sol, Cakes by Linda Kay, Casablanca, Celesta, China Gourmet, Jackie's Cafe, Junior's Veggie Soul, Speed Queen Barbecue, The Cultured Vegan, Sunkia, Zarletti. I mean, that's just a handful, but you get a sense of the breadth of all the food that you will find. And what's on tap for the music? Well, we're going to have live music by De La Boina, who has been doing that for many years at Carnival. I feel like Carnival is not the same if they were not there. And then Samba de Vida, and then Panadanza Dance Company and Salsa Brosa will also be there um, doing performances and lessons and things like that. And if someone wants more information on this, where can they go to find out? You can go to CarnivalMilwaukee.com. All right. <laughs> well, good. Glad we got that out of the way. That is happening Saturday night, the February 23rd, if I'm not mistaken on my dates. Uh, But if you're listening to this into the future, uh, check your calendars. It's coming up again in 2020, I'm sure. Yes, it is. It's always the last Saturday in February, and I will say walk-ins are welcome, too. All right. So you've mentioned UIDA's membership supported. What does that mean? How does UIDA get money to exist? This is always a question I'm curious about for nonprofits. How do they do their mission? Yeah. Well, for us, it's actually mostly through grant funding um, by foundations and corporate supporters that are working in the same space as we are, but we also are a membership association. So that is a part of our budget too. And then we have what we call contracted services. So we are engaged to do things like project evaluation, technical assistance, fiscal sponsor support. Although we're small, we're very lean and we're organized in such a way that allows us to be really flexible and kind of respond to some of the 
things that are happening. Um, we also have events like Carnival, but we also do an educational series um, throughout the year called Emerging Topics in Economic Development, and those also bring in some income, too. All right. Well, you sent me a document called, and I want to kind of go through it a bit, called uh, the UIDA Universe. <laughs> and I thought that was just a great example of uh, everything UIDA has going on. I'm laughing just because it's, it's a very on-point, I guess, description, if you could see the document. Yeah. Very nice bullet-pointed list of everything. One thing that really stuck out to me, Bank on Milwaukee. What is this program? It's, you know, as, as long as I've known UIDA, you've been interested in things in this realm, but I don't know anything about this program. Well, I'm actually really excited because that is a new thing um, for UIDA in Milwaukee. So Bank On is an initiative that started, I think, about 12 or 15 years ago, right around the, when I first started UIDA around the country in San Francisco is the first one. And it's really Bank On sites are designed to get um, unbanked and underbanked people into mainstream financial services. So working with financial institutions to have products that are accessible, low fee, they're transparent, and get people who may have been in the banking system or never participated um, into that so that they can build wealth. Um, sort of create that sort of opportunity that may not be available to them if they weren't didn't have even a bank account. And how much of a problem is that in Milwaukee? I know anecdotally all kinds of people that are not, you know, they maybe don't have a credit card, they have a credit card with an extremely low limit, or they have a bank account, but it was closed because there was no money in it. Do you have numbers that back up how much of a problem this is in Milwaukee? Yeah, in fact, there's an organization called Prosperity Now that's um, a national level group that works in this space, and they just issued a scorecard um, that you can zero down to your community. And um, the Milwaukee area has 17% people that are unbanked or underbanked. Um, and that, or maybe it's 14%, but even so, it's higher than the national average. So for the city, that's actually um, a significant number of people that maybe are participating in the economy in the way that we think they could be. And so what led UIDA to start to focus on this? Well, we've always worked in the financial capability space. In fact, when I was hired at UIDA, I was the asset building program manager. Um, so we've been involved in Money Smart Week and other sorts of um, initiatives that support this work. And we, our role is naturally as a convener. That's what we do. We have members that work in these spaces. And so we were approached a couple of years ago by some of our members to say, hey, could you build a coalition of people to work around financial capability, similar to what we see with the Take Root Project, which is around home ownership. And then one of those members brought in the Bank On folks, and that's a national level um, Cities for Financial Empowerment Fund. And so they support coalitions across the country, and we got a capacity grant to start that um, here just over a year ago. And when you say members, I'm envisioning like myself walking in off the street to your mm -hmm. office, but I don't think that's actually what your members are. Can you describe, I guess, who some of these members are? Sure. So um, a lot of our members, over half, are actually nonprofit community organizations. And so they're groups that are working in neighborhoods, that are working with small businesses, that are providing social services to folks, um, anybody who has an interest in community economic development. If you think of housing, financial empowerment, um, small business growth, those are, I mean, that can encompass a wide range of organizations. But then we also have a significant number that are financial institutions, and that's really because they are looking for ways to show that they are investing in underserved communities, and our membership is a way for them to do that. All right. Well, let's move on in the document. There was something in there that interested me. Um, Matthew Desmond wrote his book, Evicted, which unfortunately takes place in Milwaukee, kind of an eye-opening, not kind of, definitely an eye-opening look at something that's a big trend in the city, the Milwaukee Eviction Prevention Task Force. What is that? What's it all about? Yeah, so last year, the city of Milwaukee and Common Bond Communities of Wisconsin got a grant um, through the Wisconsin Healthy Partnerships Program to convene folks, this task force, and sort of identify sort of what's being done in the issue of eviction and maybe what are some recommendations to move forward. And 
even though Milwaukee is the case study, I mean, I think Desmond has gone on to create this database now that shows that we are actually in the middle of the pack, and we're, there are many cities that face it in this issue. Should I be happy about that, that our, our bad problem is no. worse somewhere else? <laughs> no, because that really speaks to the underlying issue of affordable housing in this country, that m- there's a significant number of people who live in this country who can't afford to stay in a stable place or a decent place. And he really uncovered through his um, type of research just the struggles that people go through day to day to do that. So that task force was convened. Um, The Wisconsin Policy Forum actually was the lead facilitator, did some research, and the group came up with five recommendations. And that was sort of the end of the project, was sort of what are we going to do? And then the city of Milwaukee stepped up and allocated some funding um, to support UWIDA. We were asked to actually help continue convening that group. So we'll be starting that work actually in March. And when you say allocated some funding, you don't mean millions of dollars, I assume. No, it's a minimal grant really just to pay for our time to bring that group together probably monthly, and they're going to work on each recommendation. So one of the main ones is to um, create a tenant-landlord resource center, if you will. We actually don't have one of those in Milwaukee. There was a satellite office years ago that was affiliated with the one in Madison, but there's really no one-stop shop for somebody to go to, whether they're a landlord or a tenant to mediate issues to get information. I mean, there's just nowhere for people to figure out what to do before they actually get that eviction filing in the court. Okay. Is that something that would cover then like, hey, my heat went out. Do they have to fix it immediately? Like, how does that Right. So, So tenants will know, like, what are their rights exactly? And then for landlords to know, I'm having this issue with my tenant. I don't know what to do. They won't respond to me. Um, so there's a, some really good programs out there. Um, Legal Action has an eviction defense project. They also got some funding in this last go around with the city. So they're at the courthouse four days a week now. And, you know, Desmond's book showed that 90% of tenants have no legal representation. But on the other side of that coin, 90% of landlords do. So that was a really big piece. But another one is mediation. So me, there's an eviction mediation program with Mediate Milwaukee that they just started in the last year, but they can really help tenants and landlords sort of maybe figure out a situation before it escalates and then the filing goes into court. Okay. Well, let's move on. There's something near and dear to my stomach, and that is the Food Enterprise Development Network. Tell me yes. about that. <laughs> so that was a project that came out of um, a summit that we had a few years ago, well, 2011, so more than a few Um, But it was really designed to work with micro entrepreneurs in the food development space. So think about your the vendor you see at the farmer's market who's selling jam or creating a product of some sort that you're buying there. Um, A lot of those folks really struggle to get that make that leap from selling at markets to maybe scaling up and having it be a larger business that can actually support them. So that group is designed to kind of connect those folks to all the small business resources that we know of through our membership network. And so we work a lot with um, micro food entrepreneurs. We have a little Facebook group that's um, over 100 of them, kind of connecting them to whether it's um, small business financing, business pitch competitions, you know, resources to each other. But then we also work with organizations that are looking to develop spaces that could house these entrepreneurs. And so that's one of the biggest challenges is that commercial kitchen space that's affordable. And how does how much of a barrier is language in this? When I go to a farmer's market, many of the vendors, I'm a white male, don't look like me. Yeah. So that's actually one of the reasons where our network really com- becomes valuable. So many people might know this, but we have a really active um, ethnically diverse business coalition, what's called, but it's essentially your chambers of commerce. There's among Wisconsin Chamber, a Latino Chamber of Commerce, the African American Chamber of Commerce. All of these are great networks for different minority groups. And so they have resources, they have revolving loan funds, they have people who can speak their language. Um, and so, but they may not know where to start. And so our role is to hopefully connect those chambers to a group of entrepreneurs and vice versa. And what's the, 
a year from now, if this program is going well, what's it look like? Are there mm -hmm. vendors that have opened restaurants? Are there vendors that are just more sustainable? What is the, what are the end goals? Well, initially I would say it was that. It was like how many business owners now are in the place where maybe they have launched their business. So a lot of our, we used to have these events called Recipe to Retail where we would say, you want to learn everything about starting a food business here. You can talk to a lawyer, you can talk to a marketing person, a, the permitting person from the city. Um, but we did this for a few years and I think what we found is A, entrepreneurs want to be connected to each other. So for we were measuring it by not only did they um, also open that business, but maybe they expanded it, maybe they moved on. But for us, really, it's the growth of commercial kitchen spaces is what we're really looking at. Um, a, that's a great strategy to fill some of the commercial corridor spaces that we see in our city. Neighborhoods, food-based businesses are a really good fit, but it's a really hard model. Um, we did a USDA-funded study on this like about a few years ago, kind of looking at that model. But there's a lot of organizations that are interested in it. So for us, we're really looking at could we advance that and get more accessible commercial kitchen spaces so those food entrepreneurs have a place to go because it's pretty tenuous out there. You might have a space you're renting and maybe they close down, decide not to rent anymore, that kind of a thing. And you mentioned a commercial kitchen. If I had, save a dollar for every time I was asked about that, I might have enough to make a down payment on building a commercial mm -hmm. kitchen, but they're really expensive. How does that work? Why Are your members working to build a commercial kitchen? Or are they just trying to lease one to make it accessible to more small businesses? Both. So we have some members who have those spaces, like they were part of a larger development, and they have maybe one tenant in there. And now they're saying, well, there's maybe more time that we could, you know, rent out for what you will, but we don't really know how to manage that space. So what does that look like? The city um, permitting folks have actually talked to us about other businesses, like restaurant owners, who probably could make extra money renting out their space, but maybe don't know about, they have questions about liability or insurance. And so one of the things we're looking at is trying to create a tool to help those organizations sort of figure out if that's a good fit for them, and then how to connect them to entrepreneurs who are looking for the space. But I agree with you. It's a hard model because I sort of feel like finding that commercial kitchen is almost like finding a partner in life. Like... You go to a different one, they have different equipment, they don't have the right storage, and your food product, whatever it is that you're making, really have to find a space that has all those things that you need. For those wondering why you just can't open, a, uh, not a restaurant, but why you can't just sell stuff that you make at home, there is a requirement that you cannot um, be making things in your bathtub or at your home counter. You need a commercial kitchen, and they're very expensive. So it's, I'm right. glad to hear there's work going on in that, because I've, I've had a lot of people reach out to me or, or Milwaukee being like, well, I have this great idea to open X, Y, or Z. I just need commercial kitchen space. Do you know anyone? And the answer, unfortunately, is always no for me. No, we used to have a, like a, even a list of spaces on our feed-in website, our food enterprise, and it's just hard to maintain. I mean, I know the UW Extension also had something similar, but it honestly, I feel like it's a lot of those food entrepreneurs just they're reaching out to their network. They get introduced to a restaurant owner who was like, yeah, I could do it for one person. Um, but the actual like space, there's a few of them, but... What happens is, so if in the food space, you can create like a baked good in your home. There's a cookie bill and a pickle bill, bill is what they call it, or a jam or something. But if you max out over $5,000 in income in that year, then you have to move to a commercial kitchen. So if you want to grow that business, you have to find a commercial kitchen. Yeah, I don't think many people are going to get by on $5,000 <laughs> no. a year. Uh, so let's <clears throat> shift gears a bit. Tell me about Take Root Milwaukee. This is new to me and it seemed quite ambitious, so I want to learn more about it. Yeah, so that actually was an initiative that started out of the foreclosure crisis. So they're in their ninth year, um, and it's a consortium of uh, housing counseling agencies, lenders, realtors, um, the city of Milwaukee, WIDA, and other community partners, neighborhood organizations that really promote what we call sustainable home ownership. And the idea is that we 
originally it was formed to mitigate the impact of foreclosures, so both on the prevention side, getting people to a foreclosure counselor, loan mitigation, but then also on the purchase side, there's foreclosed homes that are coming up. Um, and we want to make sure that people know that there are resources that they can trust. Um, so leading up to that foreclosure crisis, you had a lot of um, lenders, mortgage brokers, um, interesting and unusual products that people got into that really caused the crisis to begin with. So we advocate for home buyer education and really try to promote those programs, but also to create that pipeline. And we're really partnered with the city of Milwaukee to promote some of that strong neighborhoods um, programs that work with people to, you know, get into that pipeline to buy a home. Okay. And what what uh, is coming down the pipeline with that program? is? Yeah, well, every year, so we have like a public side of it where we do three home ownership fairs in Milwaukee neighborhoods where we have basically, it's a resource fair. You can talk with different lenders, counselors. There's a 101 workshop. And then we do a tour of three homes in the neighborhood. So like a fixer-upper, one that's ready to move in, and then maybe one that's sort of in the middle. That's to give people a sense of what they're getting into. And then we also do like quarterly meetings for our members. We have like professional development. So the idea is that those groups, those members are actually working with each other. They're creating products. And we've seen some banks create a specific home rehab product in a particular neighborhood, or they partner with another neighborhood and a housing counseling agency to do their own event. And that's the whole goal is that they build those relationships and so that they're reaching more people. But in particular, those that are traditionally underserved, um, so your low to moderate income or like minority communities. Well, you mentioned that UEDA's adding staff. You're, you're trying to grow your capacity. Yeah. What's, what's causing that? How are you getting to the point where, hey, we can do this. We can at least try to do it. Yeah. Well, the Take Root program is actually pretty significant. It's like its own little membership association, and it's very active, and people are really engaged, and it's awesome. Like banks and um, neighborhood groups really work together, but it, we're split between two staff. And so for years, we felt like we are so close to not really being able to do other than what we're doing now. Um, with current staff. So we worked really hard to get, and it's well-funded through grants and membership dues and all that stuff. So we're going to hire a full-time person. They're coming on in a, about a couple weeks. So we're really excited to kind of, and then that's all they're going to do. And I think we'll see a lot more out of that group. I mean, already the program has great outcomes um, just from the number of people that they work with every year to buy, fix, or keep a home. Um, but then we also um, are going to be working a lot closely with the city of Milwaukee this year and helping them do some of their HUD consolidated plan work. So that's a big project for us. And we'll have that means we had to shift resources and hire staff for the program so we can work with them on the capacity building side. And I covered the city government. What the heck is a HUD consolidated plan? <laughs> this is for all you affordable housing nerds out there. Um, so, you know, city is a participating jurisdiction for HUD. And if you get that kind of funding, CDBG essentially, or Community Development Block Grant, you have to put together basically a five-year strategic plan of how you're going to use those funds and how those funds will align with the HUD, um, overall HUD housing goals. And HUD is the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. Right. right. So that's where your block grant funds come out of and your affordable housing development. So home dollars, that's another source that we use for affordable housing development in the city, as well as um, CHODO or community housing development organizations. That is quite the alphabet soup. <laughs> I know. My first training I went to when I started at UWIDA was in the first month, and I had to go to training where I was like, what is a PJ? They keep talking about these PJs. I looked it up. I had to Google it. I was too embarrassed. <laughs> and what is it? It's a participating jurisdiction. <laughs> And I guess, what are, I guess, for the listeners that don't know, what are block grants used for? Well, their intent really was to address the impacts of poverty. There was a funding source developed, um, I think, in the Johnson administration or Nixon. I can't remember. It's been around for a long time. Um, th so it's probably some of my colleagues who are screaming right now, <laughs> right? Um, but 
it's really so a lot of cities use that to do things like they do housing, but they also do youth services. They do um, workforce. So there's some of that small business technical assistance I was talking about. Those groups get funding through that to work with small business owners. You'll see a lot of community organizing. So resident based work is funded and the ideas that you're addressing the issues related to poverty um, through that funding. All right. Well, one thing you said that really interested me, and it's because I know, I think I know a decent amount about the nonprofit world. And then you said this, and I was like, yep, I don't know because I don't know what this means. Mm-hmm. The Nonprofit Center of Milwaukee, I know that closed. Yeah. That impacts UIDA because you're trying to pick up some of that work. What is that work? What was the Nonprofit Center doing? What's UIDA going to try and do? Well, what UIDA has actually done for a long time, we used to do this through a HUD funding stream, is what we call capacity building or technical assistance. So if you think about the trends over the last 40 years, increasingly government used to do a lot of these kinds of programs we were just talking about, like anti-poverty or housing development and that kind of thing. Well, that's really been shifted to the nonprofit sector. And so there's a lot of private sector funding, but also some public sector funding go into that. But these are organizations that are nonprofit. They don't spend money traditionally on operational things. They don't invest in themselves like a business or a corporation would. So they often struggle with things like strategic planning, financial management. So let's say you started developing affordable housing. Oh, wait, what does that do to our budget? How do we need to account for that? We're going to get audited now. What does that look like? So a lot of that capacity building work in the sector was done by groups like the Nonprofit Center or UIDA, where we really just are there to, as a resource to help them do strategic planning, technology management. I mean, I can tell you stories of projects I worked on. You go into a you know, a, a shelter and their wiring for their internet is like all over the place because, you know, they get it donated or whatever. So a lot of that work is designed to strengthen the organization and make sure that they're doing great work. And we've seen really great results out of capacity building because, you know, like anything, they're not going to hire an operations person for one project. But if you come in and do the project, then the organization is in a better position. All right. And when does that start? Or is that something that's kind of already ongoing? It is ongoing. We do it a lot through a membership network. We're Jessica and I meet often with our members and nonprofits to say, what are you working on? How can we help you? What resources can we connect you to? We do some of that work directly ourselves. I have experience with strategic planning and kind of workflow analysis, all these really dorky, nerdy things that you kind of get into. And we'll be hopefully using some of the resources we have in that capacity building space um, through the city to sort of fill some of those gaps. So, you know, just helping nonprofits that work with CDBG funds know their neighborhoods better, like what kind of data can they access? There's a lot of data out there, but it's hard to know what makes sense for you and what's actually useful. You said a name in there, Jessica. Who's that? Oh, she's our other, our program and communications manager, Jessica Wetzel. So our current other staff, and then we have Constance Alberts, who's our financial capability project manager. All right. Well, in this UIDA universe document, which I just love, it's very on brand for Christy Lutzar. <laughs> there's a whole section on called What We Support. Uh, is there anything in there you want to talk about? There's a lot of familiar names in there to me, but I'm curious what you are the most interested in. Yeah. So I will tell you the story about the universe document. This was something I created when I came back after being on maternity leave, mainly so I didn't lose my mind. So it's the what we own, what we participate in, but don't lead, what we support. I've shared this with a lot of people in the last couple of years because I feel like if it helps me, it probably helps them. Um, But the what we support is really, maybe we're not an active participant in, but we're engaged in it. We're sharing things about it in our newsletter. We're telling folks about it. We're thinking about maybe how our work might connect to it more strongly. So that's why we have our member events and activities, but also Milwaukee United, which is that effort to sort of connect the neighborhoods surrounding downtown, the greater downtown, if you will, to downtown development. The Milwaukee Bid Council, so that's a business improvement district group that the city of Milwaukee now supports, but a lot of our members are bids, so we really want to make sure that we're supporting that work. Bronzeville District and the week, we are located in Bronzeville, so that's um, something near and dear, and we always try to make sure we get the word out about that. 
Um, the Make It Work Milwaukee Coalition has been around a long time, and they do a lot of really great advocacy work around um, mental health issues, people with disabilities, and transportation. And so that's where we first got engaged with them. But they do a great state, both state and countywide advocacy group. Um, so they're just really great to be connected to. And then the Regional Transit Leadership Council is the same thing. Um, that's where, you know, you and I met doing a lot of transit work, and you would have worked on that for a long time. But we don't because it's honestly a state legislature fix, and it's a very frustrating issue. I think it's one of the greater economic development challenges in our region right now. But until we can get some legislation that enables local communities to decide how they want to fund and support and organize their regional transit, it's really hard to work on that issue. I, I think so. I sit on the board of the fiscal agent for the Regional Transit okay. Leadership <laughs> Council. And yes, I agree with you wholeheartedly. It is, I think, a very pressing issue and one that's very difficult to solve mm -hmm. at this point in time. Is there something from UIDA you haven't got to touch on yet that you really want everyone to know about? Oh, I'm looking at my list. We really covered the, the I guess, the. the the universe? The universe, <laughs> if you will. You know, we talked about the eviction prevention and small business work, and not just the food enterprise, but we do have this affinity group that we co-convene with the business council and a local developer, Brandon Rule, um, around the small business technical assistance providers. But it's really exemplary of what we do. Um, we do a lot of convening. Um, sometimes I joke, I'm like, all I do is go to meetings, but it really is trying to create spaces for people who are working in similar sectors or across sector Maybe they connect in some way to get have a space where they can talk to each other, learn about what they're doing, and identify points of collaboration. And one thing we haven't talked about, your ivory tower downtown, or I don't <laughs> think it's downtown. Where, where is UIDA actually located? We are actually um, renting space from one of our members, the YWCA of Southeast Wisconsin. So we are on King Drive, and which is great. Um, in fact, UIDA used to rent a space a block up the street for a long time, but we wanted to downsize, and they were a great partner. So we love being in that space. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Well... We have about three minutes left. Let's talk about some fun things. You're the biggest Bruce Springsteen fan I know. <laughs> what is his best song? Oh, Jeremy. <laughs> you know, I was just listening to a live show that I had downloaded the other day, and I can't get around. I love Incident on 57th Street. It's just one of my favorite, favorite songs. So that's on his second album. All right. The right answer was Seaside Bar Song. but <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. See, that's more obscure. <laughs> Somehow, back in the Napster days, that song ended up on my computer, and I think it actually oh. was my introduction into the world of Bruce really? Springsteen. It's a great song. Yeah, I mean, I, any I'm, bar band song. I mean, absolutely. And do you have an underrated restaurant or bar that we should be paying more mm. attention to, checking out? And don't give us something that you don't want crowds to show up in, because our dozens of listeners will be running. Yes, I'm trying to think of an underrated. I feel like I should look at my carnival list to well, see. Well, I was going to ask, and I've been asking other people yep. what their favorite restaurant is, but that's kind of a loaded question that becomes yes. a political answer. So just something off the beaten path that you like. Okay. Well, I will say... I can answer one of my favorite restaurant questions, but I don't know. I don't want to like necessarily play favorites, but um, Cafe Corazon. Um, that's where my husband and I went after we got married at the courthouse for our, our wedding lunch. And so we were really excited when they opened up a second location in Bayview where we could just literally push our stroller in when we did decide to have a baby. <laughs> um, but for underrated, I actually really... Um, Love Sankia. So I don't know if you guys know. I don't know anything about this. Tell me more. Yeah, X-A-N-K-I-E. I don't know how to pronounce this is what yes. I just learned. I just learned. I was pronouncing it wrong all along, which is not a surprise. But their banh mis are wonderful. And they're on Well Street, you know, right in the middle of downtown. You almost would miss them because of the scaffolding half the time. But their food is great. Yeah, I, I'm amazed that building can continue to be in scaffolding yes. nonstop for years. Exactly. <laughs> 
Uh, any last plugs? People, again, Carnival is coming up this weekend. It's carnivalmilwaukee.org, am I correct? Dot com. Dot com. Mm-hmm. And if people want to learn more about UEDA, where can they go to do that? They can go to U-E-D-A-W-I dot O-R-G. All right. Well, Christy Luzar, UEDA's Executive Director, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, Jeremy.